Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Preston Brown to talk about how to solve your problems. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Preston Brown. Preston is a speaker, an entrepreneur, and a multiple eight-figure business owner specializing in disruptive innovation and profitability scaling companies. Preston has 18, 18 successful automated operating businesses with gross revenues of over $180 million. He is an expert in finance, business, and psychology, and has advised hundreds of CEOs and entrepreneurs on how to grow, scale, and optimize their companies. But today, Preston and I are going to be talking about how to solve your problems. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And today on the Leadership Habit Podcast, we're sitting down with Preston Brown to talk about how to solve your problems. Preston, thank you so much for joining us on the show. My mind even, I mean, to our audience, if you have not met uh, or met Preston, heard of Preston Brown, not only does he have a phenomenal track record that you just heard about in our earlier bumper, but just the idea sharing, the inspiration and enthusiasm that he has. I My mind is blown over the last 30 minutes. I wish we almost could have recorded that conversation, but here we go. We're going to do it for you now. Preston, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's so great to have you. Jen, it's an honor. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. All right. So now we have to let the audience in on the secret of Preston Brown. Please go ahead and tell us a little bit more about you because you own multiple businesses. You're highly successful. You've got so much knowledge that you can drop, but let's talk about your background. Tell us about yourself, Preston. Uh, let's see. So me, I'm, everybody judges a story by the end. Everybody looks at a story and they're like, Hey, you know, here's another rich guy, some a-hole that's out there doing this, that, and the other. And, and, and they look at the story and they see the ending and they judge it. So rather than kind of go into the story or all the businesses or the money or any of that stuff, the different airplanes, I'm going to give you the beginning and I'm going to give you like what my, my, my purpose is. And then we can go into all the other things that that may be related to because money and success it orbits purpose if that makes sense so i'm going to give you the, the beginning story if, that, if that's all right yeah um, when i was seven years old uh, I, I grew up in a little town uh, called kenyatier texas outside of el paso texas and we grew up in a tiny little trailer home and you know lots of love in the family not a lot of money uh we were not destitute but i mean we were definitely poverty level i mean i, we, I do remember time for there wasn't a tremendous amount of food. So this is kind of a story about one of those times. My dad who was a brilliant man, engineer-minded person. Um, he wanted to set the family free. So he decided, he's like, I'm going to open my own business. And went to work for himself in a shed uh, out beside our home. I remember uh, it was an El Paso summer, and we get very you know, critically bad heat waves here. So we stole an air conditioner to put in his shed. Like, I probably shouldn't tell that part, but we literally stole it. <laughs> Because <laughs> we didn't want him to die out there, right? He's working 6 a.m., 6 p.m. My dad was a phenomenal craftsman, uh, a beautiful man. But he didn't know some of the business fundamentals were important. He didn't know how to build. He didn't know how to collect. He didn't know how to charge. And what, what wound up happening, what wound up going on was, you know, three or four months in, my mom lost her job. And as things do in, in poor families, the, the financial stress showed up and, and the fight came. I remember the the cast iron frying pan getting thrown across the room. And I remember looking there and seeing my mom and my dad, like literally my two favorite people on the planet, my, my hero and, you know, my heroes, I guess, like talking. And, and I don't remember everything they said, but I remember the frying pan clanking 
on the floor across the room. And I remember my mom saying, a real man can feed his family. If you can't collect, don't come home. And it was, it was a lot for me. And I got to be the charity piece because I'd never seen this. Like we had a tremendous amount of love in our family. And this had never happened. So I'd never realized what effect resources could have on a person. And I got in my dad's old Ford truck and we drove up the hill and went up the mountain and we went to a house not far from where I live now in one of the much nicer neighborhoods in town. And my dad, all, all six foot four of them, walked up to this guy that was about five foot nine. My dad was that star football player, broad shoulders, like he was the badass, right? And I knew exactly what was going to happen. He was going to demand his money. He was going to get his money. He could kill this guy with a napkin. He didn't pay. So like we were going to get our money, get out, right? Jen, that did not come to pass like my, my dad went from demanding to asking to begging to groveling and I, I watched this little like weasel of a man I think he was an attorney or something so if there's any attorneys out there I'm sorry but you're not my favorite um literally like just destroy my father for me like literally torn to shreds and you know my, my dad true to his word to my mom he collected some money that night he collected a fraction of what he was owed and he made the decision to give up on his dreams that night. We drove into the local Smith's grocery store. We, I got to ride home with the, one of those big boxes of ramen noodles on my mind. That's what we were able to do. And my dad gave up on his financial dreams, quit his business, locked up his little shed, and went to work and worked as an employee for the rest of his life. But he chose to stay my father. And so while I'm very grateful that you know, he chose to stay there, before seven years old, I didn't even know what hatred was. And I hated a man that I'd never met who had manipulated my dad for money. Like that was the first time that I'd ever hated somebody. I thought, man, I could kill that person. Like I absolutely hate that person because he destroyed my hero. And this turned me into a corporate machine. Like I would go into industries. I have 18 different companies now and I coach people across hundreds of different businesses and industries. And I, I became this corporate machine. Like, I mean, I could go into an industry, figure out what did the customers want? How did I go get it? How do I give it to them? And how do I do it better than anyone else? And I would shut competitors down. And where this took me was to, you know, I wasn't going out and telling my story. You tell me, giant head, tiny shoulders, I am the typical nerd, right? Uh, <laughs> if a lion doesn't tell his story, the hunter will. So guess what my competitors were saying? And they were not saying beautiful things about me. They were like, oh, that guy's hey, oh, that guy's this, that guy's that. And uh, I didn't care. I, I was I was corporate. I was I was solving my dad's wound. I was turning my dad's wound into a scar around money. I was never going to let money be my God, but it kind of became my God through a back door because I, I became just a corporate, angry, transactional son of a gun, the, the guy that everybody talks about. And that went on and I got pretty rich. I became worth several million dollars, five, 10, 15 million dollars. Uh, and uh, had lots of businesses and everything was going right. In 2019, my dad sat in his favorite chair and went to sleep. He didn't wake up. It was a life-changing moment for me because there was nothing I could do about it. There was no transaction I could make to solve it. There was, my mom always used to say when I was young, everybody has a game, find out the game and you'll figure out how to win. Learn the game, learn to play, you'll win. There was no game. It was my first time losing love. And it was a beautiful moment because it taught me that, you know, money was not the meaning of life. Resource accumulation is not the meaning of life. It's love that's the meaning of life. And so my dad created the worst day of my life, and he also created the best day of my life. The worst day of my life and the best day of my life were the same day. It was the day that he taught me the most important lesson, the day that he passed. 
And that, that lesson came in the form of learning about expectations. Expectations are the mother of all suffering. All of the suffering I had when he left was there not because he was gone, but was there because I expected him to still be here. And that was the best transfer of action or teaching I ever received in life from my father. He absolutely gifted me with the most beautiful understanding that money and transactions and everything, the real lesson I was supposed to learn on that day when I was seven is he made the right choice. He chose love over money. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have both. And luckily, I went through that heart talk journey, that corporate journey, and I learned how to accumulate the money. But money is not the meaning of life. It's the resource that, that can compound and amplify life. Okay? And, and, and here's where it's beautiful. If you have no money and you are a jerk, no one will love you. If you have a ton of money and you are a jerk, you are Hitler. You have lots of resources, lots of power. Your name will be remembered through history. If you have lots of resources, lots of ability, you could be the next Gandhi, you could be the next Tony Robbins, you could be the next person out there speaking belief, speaking hope, helping somebody, building somebody. And, and so money's an amplifier, not a reason. And my journey was there, hopefully, not just to teach me, but my purpose now is to teach others that there's four core new experiences, faith, family, fitness, and finance. And while finance is definitely the, the smallest of these four things, they're all tethered to one another. So while we're all out there seeking resources, if you're having an issue with faith or family, you have an anchor here, you can't progress because they're tethered to one another. And progress equals happiness. And so that's the story where I had to learn over you know, now, I guess, 40-year journey, what the real meaning of life was and how to really solve problems by removing anchors. And they weren't necessarily in the core that I thought they were in. I was chasing the money problem and it was always a love problem. I was always- so when you say anchors, money. you mean the anchors of the of faith, family, fitness, finance, or kind of just like the wrong things. When you say anchors, um, I, just the resources, I know that, but maybe prioritizing them in a wrong way and not putting them equal- Tell me a little bit more about that. <laughs> sure. I spent 15 years chasing money in my own business. It's probably more than that. I had businesses when I was a kid. I was selling lemon juices and door-to-door selling things. And I was always the top selling like Cub Scout or whatever, right? But like in, in my companies, my, at least my business journey, is about 15 years now. Well, all of that time, I was working towards developing resources. And there was always that core pain moment from seven years old. When my dad gave up his dreams, was I really chasing money or was I chasing a solution to the problem that hit me when I was seven years old? If we look at faith, family, fitness, finance, my hero got hurt, family issue. Well, I was chasing finance. Here's the crazy thing I got some finances. I was worth 10 or $15 million. You know, nowadays I've healed that wound. That's a scar. And my net worth is no longer 10 or $15 million. Like I have single companies that pay me 10 or $25 million a year. Like, so if I sold that company, my net worth has compounded dramatically, removing an anchor. My anchor was my pain. My problem was I needed to heal the wound that my dad had when I was seven years old and somebody cheated him for money. And I built a belief in a model of a world around not ever being cheated for money and a new identity around control. And, and 
Am I going too far? You kind of no, see. I, I love this because if we're thinking about how to solve problems, it is anchoring in or checking in on what are the limiting beliefs or the rules or the pains that are kind of present in our subconscious that we may not realize that are dictating or driving or creating obstacles to today's problems that we might not be aware of. And so I know it's a little conceptual, right? That we have to be mindful of how we picked up these beliefs. But if you're not aware of them, then you are chasing the wrong thing. So when you say how to solve your problems is in what I'm pulling back from this is that, you know, between faith, family, fitness, and finance, that if you're just focusing on one, or if one of them is broken, like you're not going to be able to move forward or progress. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. like, and it's, but that comes, so where do you start? So if you have, if I have a problem of, oh my gosh, let's say that like, maybe I want to be more successful in my life and we're going to apply and really understand the significance of these four things. What does faith mean to you? And how do you think people can develop and build that? Oh, such good questions. So faith is energy. Okay. We cannot pour from an empty cup. Every guru out there from what I hear is seeming to say the same words. You got to hustle your way to success. Hustle, hustle, hustle. BS. Okay, this is this is such a lie. When you hustle nonstop, you get exhausted. When you get exhausted, you 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 empty. You are emotionally drained. If you are pouring from an empty cup, you are quenching nobody's thirst. Okay. Now, hustle is not a complete lie, but the best lie the devil ever told was seated with an ounce of truth. Right. So we have to stop going with just that. Let's look at the whole process. How do we get to hustle? The first thing you need is passion. Okay. And I'm going to give you an Authentic, but maybe politically incorrect example. Can I do that? All right. Yes, yes, you can do that. <laughs> when my wife walks into the bedroom wearing lingerie, there's not one part of me that says, I better hustle. I better figure this out. None of me needs to do that. There's passion. I'm in love with this woman. She is my soulmate. She's absolutely my heart and soul. I am excited she's there. I don't even have to think about hustle. Passion is cause. Hustle is effect. Okay? So then you start getting to success. Well, faith is just energy in. The, we always hear people say, if, 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 if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, if you love, there's also passion, right? What is a sale? A sale is a solution to a problem that somebody has. They pay you to solve a problem. If you're passionate about solving that problem, then it's easy for you to sell it. It's easy for you to sell the solution because you would have done it for free. In fact, most real successful people that I know, and I'm, I'm not talking about the fake insta-famous ones that pretend and go borrow somebody's freaking car, okay, and take pictures. I'm talking about really successful people. They innovate something amazing, okay? And, and, and by innovate something amazing, it could just be a different process or a different way of talking to people. Like it, it could be in a normal industry, but maybe they explain their product better than somebody else. It doesn't have to be like crazy innovation like they invented Google, okay? They innovate something amazing around whatever they do, whether they're a real estate agent, whether they're an investor, whether they build this or that or whatever widget, okay? And then they love doing it so much that people enjoy the experience of having them do it, okay? Like, I know a gal that was so good at massage. She's not certified as a masseuse, but she was so good at it. She could actually help anyone that now she is probably the most high-priced masseuse in our market. Not because... Not because she went to this school or got this training. She loved helping people. 
And like if they if they had neck pain or this side or the other, she could show up and in five minutes, you didn't have neck pain because she knew how this muscle worked with this muscle and she'd come in and she'd hit it and she'd find out which one was tension and which one was not and this, that, and the other. And she'd work it out and solve it because she was passionate about it. She loved it. Well, she did that for free for a very long time. And then people started saying, well, no, 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 I need you. Well, guess what? The ones that said, I need you, were willing to pay for the service. Guess who she enjoyed working for more? The ones that paid or the one that, that didn't? Like, like, Jen, are you married? Yes. Okay. <laughs> when you kiss your husband, do you want him to kiss back or just stand there like a bum hole? <laughs> I would like, think he would want to. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's... There's a paradox. Like, let me give you a love paradox, right? Because we're all looking for unconditional love, and it, and it fits in business. It fits in business, okay? You know, I've heard the gurus say, you know, conditional love is horse trading. It's prostitution. It's transactional. What's a transaction? It's a transfer of action. Oh, wow. So you mean, like, our conversation is a transfer of action? You mean every human experience where us social animals communicate and collaborate with one another, we're transferring action or transacting. Oh gosh. Okay. So you're married and you want unconditional love in your marriage, right? Yeah. So were there vows? Absolutely. Are vows conditions? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Conditional is not a bad thing. Anything that demonized owns us. Okay. Having a transactional relationship, like, Hey dude, like if we're gonna get married, it's still death to us part. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and you're going to be with only me. Fair enough. Okay. Right. So we've set conditions. Now, how much do we love someone? You can love someone and it is measurable as much as you're willing to suffer for them. So like, I'll give you an example. I don't believe in killing. I have no interest in dying. I want to live as long as I can. But if somebody walked in to hurt my children, I would break my beliefs and my conditions and I would kill or die for them. I love them beyond my conditions. That's what unconditional love means. So what's the difference then if we've just disproved the transactional negativity on that between unconditional and conditional? It's an expectation of reciprocation. So back to my masseuse friend, when she was helping somebody, say she's helping somebody, she was transferring action from her to them. She's creating, in effect, a line. There's a beginning here. There's an ending here. Do you know what happened when the first person paid her? That line turned into a circle. There was a reciprocation. A circle has no ending. Oh my gosh, there's a paradox here. You know, it's so funny. Anywhere where there's a paradox, there's truth. Can God create a rock so big he cannot lift it? Uh-huh. And uh-uh. But he can make it because he's God or she's God. Whatever we want to say, right? So like, let's, let's look at that. The paradox of giving and giver's gain. We all know giver's gain. But the paradox of giving is it's more fun to give to people that reciprocate. You can give unconditionally, and if people see you, feel you, sense your authenticity, they're like, I want more of that. I'm going to reciprocate. And then all of a sudden, you have to value your time. And you know where you're going to value your time? With the people that value you the most. Wow. So this, this paradox of, hey, anything I'm doing exceptionally that I would do for free, that I'm really passionate about, I love helping people and other people paying me. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'll take that feedback, and I'll go work more with them, more with them, more with them, more with them. Most people have five or ten huge opportunities lying in front of them, but they have so many beliefs laden with blame that they never look at the opportunities. Do you know what blame is? I mean, I look at it as, like, shame or self-judgment or judgment for others. 
And it's, here's what it is. It's an acronym. Being lazy and making excuses. The only thing that will ever set a human being free is the truth, which means you need data and information. Break apart the word information in formation. Thoughts can become things. That is how we form something. We get the data. We get the information. She got a feedback loop that people were giving her money because she was helping them. And now this unlicensed masseuse helps more people than all the educated people do at higher prices. Like if I wanted her to come to my office today, probably $300 because she's always booked. Wow. That's, <clears throat> I love, so really coming back down to pa- like passion, faith, like how can we find what that purpose is or how can we give, how can we do that? But I also like the rewiring of the thoughts. That's something that I think is so important. I think a lot of people don't realize I like the blame, even though I forgot what being lazy and making excuses. Yeah, you got it. There we go. Got it. But, but because there is that like, right within coaching, I feel like we have a choice and I know that this is going to feel hard for some people to hear that, but we do get to choose. We have the opportunity to choose our thoughts, understand what's really going on in there and rewrite that truth. And if you're not choosing that, and if you're living in blame of everything the world is against you, then yeah, you're not looking for your opportunities to change the situation. And there's a level of accountability that people need to have and face. And I know that's hard. It's easier to blame, but like, what can we do? Like that's, that's the way of motion forward. Okay. So here, here's, you want me to give you like a guarantee? I'll give, give everybody, a guarantee. All <laughs> everybody, everybody watching your podcast gets a million dollars worth of information in the next few minutes. And I'm even going to compound it with a story. Okay. That way, because look, I believe facts do tell, but stories sell. And everybody, if they hear this, they're not going to understand this just for the person in the story. They're going to understand it for them. But before we go into that, what do we do? How do we remove blame? And if there's four cores to kind of tie everything together, because you got to tie it all together, like faith, family, fitness, finance. What if there was blame here in family? Could that affect me here in finance? Well, yes, if progress equals happiness, you're anchoring. You're anchoring in family. These are tethered to one another. They may not be the same thing, but... You live in the same skin. All these four things matter to you. They're all tethered to one another. The single greatest anchor is going to prevent you. So how do we remove blame? Not even necessarily in the area it's in. How do we live on purpose? And what is living on purpose? It's using the energy in motion that we have to create lasting passion. And let me compound that a little bit. Have you ever been angry? (laughs) Of course. Would you choose that emotion? No. (laughs) So if you wouldn't choose the emotion, and we know we have a conscious mind, and we can probably all agree that consciousness is what makes human beings human, and you wouldn't choose the emotion of anger, then there was probably what's called a subconscious pattern, something that triggered you, that led you to the anger. Is that fair for the scientific method to get to anger? Absolutely. So then if consciousness makes us human, is subconsciousness subhuman? I mean, I don't think it's subhuman. (laughs) I'm saying these as trigger statements for a reason, okay? Because you wouldn't have chose anger. So what's the purpose of the anger? The anger's there to be an indicator. The pain's there to be an indicator. The stress is there to be an indicator. It's saying there's something to solve, not saying stay here. Don't so anytime you get into a 
trigger point. Like if you're not in consciousness because there's a trigger that's so loud that it pulls you out of your decision-making conscious ability into a subconscious trigger space, then you're no longer human because you're no longer conscious. You're literally the robot in the pattern. Does that make sense? You're yeah, also- you're living on autopilot. You're just defla- like, it's kind of thinking that like everything is happening to you. We're not paying attention to what our triggers are and how that conscious to subconscious infra- or I guess action information is there. Or I like to look at it as like our under stress self versus our stressed self of when we feel like the world might be spinning versus when we feel more calm and able to see things clearer. Like that, yeah, my default response for a lot of things can be. <laughs> frustration and anger, but I you're try to regulate that by being aware of my triggers. <laughs> you're going to love this story because it's going to help you be aware of the triggers, but the triggers come from all four areas. Like what is stress? Could, could we root it to a biochemical called cortisol in the body? I mean, isn't that what everyone is saying? Yeah. Or isn't that what it is? <laughs> you know that cortisol is actually a wonderful biochemical. You know what the purpose of it is? No. You wake you up in the morning. Without a cortisol spike, you wouldn't wake up in the morning. You'd literally die in a sleep. So cortisol is critical, but, but a good thing, too much of a good thing. If you drank 20 gallons of milk today, you'd probably die. So too much of a good thing can be bad, right? So cortisol is not a negative. It's, we don't know how to manage the biochemical factory that is our body. So I'm going to kind of explain, can you get stressed on faith issues, energy in issues? Like we all need to fill our cup, right? Like, can you get stressed on faith issues? Yes. Absolutely. Would that affect other areas, maybe in your finance? Absolutely. So anytime you're getting angry, you might have a finance goal, but it might be a faith or a family or a fitness thing that's causing problems. Say you wake up with neck pain. Oh man, that stresses me out. I have a big meeting today. Son of a, all of a sudden, what happened? And you get into the spiral. So I'm going to go into a story that I think might be that million dollars worth of information and maybe a life-changing moment if people hear it. And, and, And by the way, guys, if you're not following this, it's going over your head. One way to solve that, Stand up, okay? Because then it'll get you. So, um, now, I'm going to tell a quick story of where I learned about the faith, family, fitness, finance, because literally I've been able to rip out and root out problems. And when you're rooting out a problem here, you're creating new situations and solutions here. And, and, and life is all about, like, where's the anchor? So I, I meditate. I meditate a lot. I call it thinking time, right? And And... I sit in water, whether it's a hot tub or a river or whatever. I'm a nerd for water. Like on the Chinese calendar, they say my personality is a wood personality. Well, I guess got to add some water to grow the wood, right? So like, whatever. I like water. I've always liked water. I sit there and I think. And so I'm sitting in a river one day and I'm drinking Trulies. And I'm like, man, you know, just, I think I solved all the issues that I went there to think because I normally like have an intention. And, and I'm just thinking like, what's the meaning of life? And I just got this download of information. Everybody's had this at some point or another. Like they've just gotten a lot of information at once. But where did that come from? And I started like writing. So writing this four course human experience. Like there's faith, which is energy in. Like I need to fill my cup. I can't pour from an empty cup. There's family. Like it's energy expressed. It's the way you show love. It's the way that you show affection. Transfer action. Like even that love talk we were talking earlier is part of like transferring action, right? Then there's fitness. There's health. There's wellness. Like we're going to exist in this body. Like so, so fitness. And then there's finances, there's resource management. You know, maybe God made us in his or her image, but infinite, finite. So we're more like a reflection, you know? So we're finite. We need to worry about resources. So finance is not just money, it's resources. And these are the four courses, human experiences. And man, it needed a lot of thoughts. It was a lot coming fast. So I wrote it down. 
And I literally put a post-it on the monitor of my computer for us. Faith Family Fitness by Anthony. So I just wanted to think on it more. And I love thinking. Well, at this particular time, I was uh, taking a guy out of running one of my businesses. And this one happened to be a real estate company. And he's a great guy who's had different, different ideas. But any time that you have a person exiting a company that used to work for you, especially in real estate, which is a big popularity contest type of business model, then it, it, it turns into a situation where you're like, hmm, they're going to open a company to compete with my company. And they're going to shut me down and close me down. You know, I got a lot of background noise. I'm going to go shut them up real quick. Hold on. Yeah, shut no problem. Let's do um, it. <laughs> Sorry, I want to make sure that I'm giving you all that, not with, with a little less <laughs> running around there. Um, so anyway, I'm I'm taking him out of the company. He's no longer going to run it from me for me. And and he's he's trying to hire a lot of the agents within the company. And I don't want them to leave, but at the same time, like I understand that's just markets, that's dynamics, that's how it works, whatever. So I'm not worried. But one young lady walks into my office and pretty much demands coaching. At this point, I've got a lot of businesses. I'm coaching some folks that are Wall Street entrepreneurs. These people are hired to run large companies that are publicly traded. I'm not looking to coach a realtor, but I also know the presupposition. I don't help her. She's gone, right? She's going to leave. She's going to go with this guy that's that I'm taking out of the business. Well, I sit down. I'm like, okay, cool. What are you looking for? All coaching. Like, I almost don't like the word coaching. Coaching is all influence. Here's what you got to do. You got to help somebody get from point A to point B. They have a map in their mind. They want to get here. They know they're not there. Most of the time, they don't know where they are. So you have to figure out where are they and where do they want to go, where do they really want to go, and then coach them. Okay? That's all coaching. So I'm, what are you looking for? What do you want to do? And she's like, I need to get to six closings a month. I've got a lot of financial stress. She's telling me all this stuff. Like, and, and she keeps, while she's telling me this, venting, four children, lots of love there, but lots of stress. She's empty. She's born from an empty cup. And then she's uh, venting this husband, Sutherland, really mad at him. And I can't, I don't know why. And I've never done like family coaching or relationship coaching, but I, I can hear there's some frustration. I'm, I'm looking at her numbers on the computer. And I'm like, okay, let's see. You want six closings a month. How long do I have to get you there? She's like, I need it now. And I was like, now let's see where your numbers are. 0.5 closings a month. She wanted a 1,200% gain in her business. And I was like, now it's not going to happen. 1,200% gain is a really good thing over a decade for most businesses. You want it now. How long do I really have? Like, like, and I'm just looking for her to be reasonable and rational because if you don't have that, you can't coach somebody anyway, right? It takes away the training. And she's like, maybe we can do it in three months. So I was like, okay. You know what? Three months, I could probably get a realtor, at least a two or three. And I know that just by putting in some fundamentals. And so like, tell me about your business. And she starts going. And significant emotional events in life create significant emotional events later. And those little events that I've noticed before start getting bigger and bigger. And bigger. And I look at this posting up sitting on my computer, and I'm like, and I say these words, and I, I, I'm hearing myself saying them and regretting them as they're coming out of my mouth. I'm like, what have you done? And here go the words. Tell me about your husband. I, like, I'm a white man in Me Too America. Why the hell did I say, tell me about your husband? Like, I am like bullseye target number one. I should not be asking this question, right? And oh my God, I had no idea what I was doing, but I've never done family coaching. We're emptying a tissue box. I'm hearing about lipstick on the collar. I'm hearing about the text messages she's found. I'm, I mean, it is like, it's, it's pretty obvious what she thinks is happening in this guy's world, right? Yeah. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And I'm, I'm trying to bring myself back to coaching because I've only ever done finance. And I'm like, okay, where are we now? Where do we 
be? Where are we now? Who do we want to be? And I look at her and I'm like, okay, some women would want to murder him and bury his body in the desert. Others are going to say, this is the man of my dreams. I want him back. Where are you? And she's like, he's the man of my dreams. And I'm like, okay, cool. Got a baseline. I don't know why he's leaving. I don't know why he's even this, that. And I'm like, okay, cool. She's even like taking responsibility, saying maybe I've done something wrong. Like, I don't know. If somebody's taking responsibility, reverse the word, they have the ability to respond. They can change it. I'm like actually starting to get hope. I'm like, I'm going to do family coaching. But you know what? Maybe there's hope here. And I've been to a lot of seminars and studied psychology. So I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a few thoughts with you. And I look at her and I say, do you know how many archetypes that a man has in his heart, and his mind, and his soul before he wants to be? And she's like, no, how many? I was like, one. Just one. We're real simple. I want to be a superhero every day. I want a cape. Like, if you buy me a cape for Christmas... I would be happy. That's me. You know how many women have? And she's like, no. I said, me neither. But I know we can root them down to at least three. There's three archetypical personalities we can root a woman down to. You are a more sophisticated software with a more advanced brain. Okay? And in fact, I'll prove it. Women use both sides of their brain nearly all the time. You know, men do that too, but only at two times. Men can only use both sides of their brain when they're either taking notes or having sex. Meaning outside of that, we're either left or right, not both. You guys are both always. Your emotional and logical quotients are always connected, okay? And, and, and so I'm like, hey, you have three. Let's talk about what they are. Because you can always like kind of look at a woman and kind of figure out where she's at within these three. There's like 10,000, but there's three that we can root to, right? One is this highly playful, highly feminine creature. And feminine energy is like this flowy, loving, experiencing the universe energy, right? It's the energy that over 40,000 years of human history that the woman has used to attract the man. Everybody says opposites attract. Yes, opposite energies attract. If you are a masculine and a feminine walks by, I don't care if you're attracted or not, you will look. If she's in her feminine, you will look. You can't, we can't avoid it. Okay. Not even you're checking her out. You just feel feminine, right? You're like, I like feminine. Wow, that's crazy. You know? So this highly feminine creature called the plague was one archetype. Then there's this like half feminine, half masculine. Let's call her the mother. Guess what she did? She raised children. If you're two, you need somebody to be direct and intentional to lead you. That way you don't hurt yourself or get in trouble. But you also need love and nurturing and all that. So it's kind of half feminine, half masculine. Okay. And then there's this third one. My wife calls her, pardon me, political incorrectness, the bitch. And this one, it's an acronym, babe in total control of herself. Okay. This is the girl that 40,000 years ago, the men were off hunting. And what's the most dangerous thing to a woman? Another man. Tribal other men comes in. They might steal stuff. They might hurt your children. You pick up a spear, you fend them off. And I look at this young lady that's in my office and I say, I think I might have an idea. And she says, what is it? I said, you said you have four children. She said, yeah. I said, you've had four events where your body created life and created this chemical called oxytocin, which is the love hormone. You experience love at a level that no man will ever know in their entire lives. And you did it not once, four times. You ever heard of Pavlov's dog? <laughs> Ring the bell. They'll come for food. Ring the bell. They'll come for food. Love is the meaning of life, girl. You've learned four times biochemically. Love is the meaning of life to children. Okay. When you met him, I don't think you were in that state. I think you were probably in a much more playful state, a much more energetic state. Like how great she tells me. And turns out, guess what? She's in school. She's in college. She's doing this. She's doing that. She was in a dance class. She was doing all these things. She was feminine. And I said, what if he's not looking for another woman? What if he's a guy with only one archetype? He doesn't realize that you're a more advanced creature and he doesn't realize that the four children might have pushed you into another archetype. What if he's looking for the year he first met? 
And, and, and it, it was like a mic drop moment because I watched her eyes like well up and I watched her like for the first second have this thing called hope. And I was like, oh shit, I'm getting somewhere. Oh, I might be getting somewhere. Okay, this is, this is really good. And so then like, I listened for a few more minutes while I'm kind of getting my thoughts. And I'm like, all right, what were your favorite behaviors? What were you doing when you met her? She was in a dance class. She was getting massages once a month. And uh, she was doing shopping, retail therapy, I think with like her mom. She didn't have the money for retail therapy, but she could go and at least look, window shop, right? So I gave her homework. I said, you do this, you do this, you do this. Because behaviors for women equals emotions. Like, and you guys got to fill your tank at least weekly and do those behaviors. Otherwise, you will empty, like all of you all. And, and us will too, but we, we empty a little slower. We kind of have a pot. You guys have a colander. goes out a little faster. And, uh, <laughs> so you guys got to be recharging, right? And so I do those little questions, and she answers. And this girl does the homework. She's doing the dance call. She's doing all this stuff. Within a month, she has stepped back into her place. She's still a mother when she needs to. Women can switch like that. You guys are like supercomputers. You can go one place to another. You're amazing. And all of my companies are run by women for this reason. You have better brains. And I'm not knocking men. Men are really good at really intense focus stuff. But women can like feel environments. And you switch depending on the needs of the environment. It's beautiful. But when you get stuck, it can be damning. And it can really curse the situation. Well, Within a month, she's back to being herself, switching where she needs to go. This man is eating out of her hands. He discloses the relationship. He never slept with the other girl. I think he did kiss her. He screwed up, but not as bad as she thought. The marriage is better. You know what, Jen? This is actually a story of failure. I did not speak to the girl again for quite a while. She did tell me that he disclosed the relationship, ended it, and they were doing better. That was about a month later. But it took about four and a half months. I think we were approaching the fifth month when she showed up in my office. and She said, hey, I'm closing my sixth deal this month, next week. So I didn't do it in three months. It took four. We never did a financial coaching, but faith, family, fitness, finance. There was a family issue anchoring this incredibly powerful woman. And all that we had to do was get her out of her own way, remove the negative trigger, remove the subconscious trigger, the blame, the being lazy and making excuses from the situation to pull her back into her conscious mind that allowed her to naturally elevate. And she got exactly what she wanted. That is a crazy story. Not like on the delivery of both the finance piece, the family piece, the fate, like just, yeah, that's a perfect example of all four anchors. And I'm so happy that like she, you know, has that for herself, that she has that growth, like, cause you want that for humanity. I love that you talked about having hope again, thinking differently, you know, shifting in back into our conscious mind of not just being reactive to the life that we have. Preston, I love this. And I know that we have to wrap our podcast. I think that's a powerful story. What would be a closing remark that you would have? Or if you want to give any closing feedback to the Leadership Habit audience that have been joining us for this conversation? You know, I mean, live every day on purpose. Take every negative emotion that you all might experience. This, I mean, it's part of life. But take it as feedback. Take it as indicators. And really stop, pause, appreciate it. Figure out what the real root is. And then go solve for that. Because honestly, when you solve for that, the faith in the mustard seed really can move mountains. And, and it, by nature of just doing what we're intended to do and living within our purpose and being authentic and real, you get to start living the life you watch on TV instead of just watching it on TV. Yes, I love that. Well, and we all have access to that. Preston, where can people get in touch with you? All of my social medias are uh, like 
the Preston Brown, or I guess at the Preston Brown. And, and my team does respond. We, we do comment. Like, so if you have questions or anything, like we, we, we try to make sure that we get to everyone. Preston, your enthusiasm, your stories, just your experience is such a, I'm so happy that we had it. It was such a wealth of knowledge. And thank you so much for giving your time or investing your time in to share this with our audience. I am so grateful. I love your energy. You guys have to follow the Preston Brown. You can find him on Insta. You can find him on multiple social platforms, but you have to connect. Preston's going big places. You already are at big places, let's be honest. Like, but I know that it's going to be awesome to continue to watch what you do. I've, I've just really loved meeting you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an honor. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast with Preston Brown. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. I felt like he gave so many unique insights. And if you want to connect with Preston, you can head on over to connect with him at The Preston Brown on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn. And of course, speaking of problems, if Prescom can help you solve your organizational or leadership problems, we would love to help. Head on over to Crestcom.com and there you can find more information about our 12-month long leadership development program. And finally, hey, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Until next time.